Blessed and glorious God, I pray that these words of mine would become your words, that your message would reach straight to our hearts today, that we would not only be good listeners, but do it, good doers of the word, bringing our full worship to you, allowing ourselves to be changed in Christ's light. Amen. Last summer, our family took a, a wonderful vacation to the North Georgia mountains, and we spent time hiking and relaxing in our cabin and enjoying some new restaurants and taking a scenic train ride. It was what a good vacation should be, just three generations of family together making positive memories, except for one, except for one. While driving through the hills of Tennessee, uh, the air conditioning went out on our van, and I wanted to press on, but the three that were jammed into the back seat of our minivan became nauseous and dizzy, so we had to pull over, and we, we found a mechanic in Knoxville who could squeeze us in to his schedule, but the repair would take several hours, and it was quite a scene, uh, seeing the vagabond Newen family walking through Knoxville trying to find some place to eat and something to do, grandparents and kids, while we waited. The trip was going so well, but for that van. Do you wish sometimes we could just leave that little bit of bad out and just hold on to the good? Such is the case for some of us as followers of Christ as we approach the season called Lent. We've rejoiced in the twinkling lights and uh, the singing of familiar carols as we welcome Christ's birth. We renew our faith as we recall Jesus' baptism. We think about his miracles, his healing, his teaching, his unmeasurable grace, and then Lent comes, cross, suffering, loss. Can't we just leave that death part out? I've heard of a dedicated churchgoer who religiously attends every week but boycotts Good Friday because she just can't get herself to say crucify him. It's just too hard. We like to turn our attention to that which is strong and healthy. But the inevitability of pain comes and there's nothing we can do to change the fate of the Lord who moves towards the cross and there's nothing we can do to avoid our own pain. Air conditioners do break, and much worse, friends suffer, or children get sick, or careers fall apart, or relationships feel unrepairable. The stuff of the Bible, the stuff of life, and then what do we do? How do we handle the frustration, the suffering? Do we hide? Do we run? Do we curse? Or do we confront our pain with the confidence of faith? Peter had just made a significant confession in his own life. After months of wrestling and learning and questioning, finally he was able to proclaim, Jesus, you are the Messiah. There, he said it. He declared it. Jesus is not just a miracle worker, some profound uh, leader of the law. He is one who can lead into renewed life. Peter is beaming. Jesus had praised him for his statement of faith. In fact, Jesus had even told him 
that he would be the foundation of this new community called the church. Peter, you have the keys to the kingdom, he said. All things were happening. Excitement was on verge. The future was bright. Freedom and, and uprising and privilege and power. With Jesus, anything could happen. And then Jesus says, it's time to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and die. What? This is impossible. It doesn't make sense. This cannot be. We've got so much going for us, Jesus. Everything is right the way it is. We do not need this intrusion of heartache. We will remain diligent, friend. We won't put ourselves in danger. This is God's victory time. Can't you hear Peter's voice ringing? And Jesus says, Peter, you have no idea how God works. If I were a Peter, I would keep insisting, let's hold on to the good and let's push out the bad. Sometimes I wonder if even Jesus himself, occupied with the thought of death, questioned whether his father's kingdom could truly come in a way that looked so much like defeat. But the road to Jerusalem is laid out, and neither savior nor student can avoid heartache that's coming. And then this gift of beauty, right in the midst of the ugly, right in the middle of death's, Jesus' death prediction and their walk towards Golgotha and the tomb. This gift in the middle is the transfiguration, God's remarkable blessing to teacher and to disciples as they contemplate real pain. The encounter is stupendous miraculous, tickling the senses. A mountaintop, Jesus glowing, radiant light, visions of faith heroes of old, rumbling clouds, a voice from the heavens, trembling disciples, eerie silence, all of it. Wow. Now, if you're like me, I'd like to explain it, figure it out, mine this miracle for meaning. Why did Jesus take three followers instead of all of them? Wouldn't that make some of them jealous? How exactly did Jesus change? Did he put on a whole new outfit, or was it like his robes just got a really good tide scrub? What did Jesus talk about with Moses and Elijah? The best music, food, theology, and ethics? After such an incredible encounter, did Jesus really think those three guys could keep quiet? What did this all mean? What is happening? So many questions. We search, we try to answer, and maybe that's what we do when we're in times of hardship and suffering. We turn first to reasoning and explanation, and what's the point, and what's the purpose? And can someone help me make sense of this? Peter wants to stay a while and figure it out, so let's, you know, let's build some tents, Jesus. Let's talk it through. What's going on here? And maybe Elijah here, Moses here, we can all get together and talk about a better plan than this whole cross-suffering thing. Maybe we can come up with a better idea. Peter would like an explanation. He'd also like to postpone the pain. You know, maybe if we build some houses and we stay in this holy moment on this bright mountain, maybe we don't need to go back down to the hunger and the injustice and the war and the faithlessness and your adversaries, Jesus, right? The threat you're feeling down there isn't real up here. If we can stay in this high place, maybe we can just avoid the pain that's down below. 
keep the good. Let's forget about that bad. Or at least delay it. Delay it until it's gone. I was reading about this young child. His mother had arranged for him to take piano lessons. All year long, he took lessons from this excellent teacher. And the teacher would sit and play, and they would make music together. Some were challenging, some downright frustrating. So the student would need to practice hard while at home, which is hard with video games and Little League beckoning for attention. But this little young boy did his best to practice and get confidence and watch his skill improved. Except he would only practice one piece of music, the familiar piece, the one that wasn't really all that challenging, the one he could play well, the one that sounded good. It was fun. The young kid was a great pianist, as long as you only needed him to play that one tune. Because the other ones were hard, and he liked the good, and he wanted to push the bad away. But God interrupted Peter's idea to set up a coffee chat on that mountain that day. God interrupted Peter's design and said, stop, my son. You are with Jesus in this moment. Look at him. Listen to him. Be with him. Receive this moment on this mountaintop for what it is, bright and reassuring and hope-inspiring. Peter, put aside your agenda, your need for answers, your need to always succeed with least resistance, your need to always be happy and escape pain, and give yourself to this moment just be available. Just be. On the mountaintop, Jesus doesn't explain. There's no moral. There's no takeaway. Only an invitation to marvel at what's happening. What do the disciples do there? They don't theologize. They don't plan a lesson. They don't get ready for a mission trip. They just fall on their face. And they worship. There's something extremely valuable in the art of pausing in the cloud of God's presence. You know, God is spectacular. God interrupts that which just feels dusty and decaying and provides some light there. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves from suffering. There's no way to shield ourselves from the, from the hurt that is bound to come. At the same time, there's no way to, sh to hide ourselves from the light that God wants to bring to our darkest moments. The mountain is the way for God to prepare the disciples for this sacred yet difficult road. And God presented it for them to hold on to when crushing realities come. And they always do come. See Peter all dizzy, all nauseous with spiritual and emotional nausea. He's made this high confession. He's had fulfillment and joy, confident that he's made the right choice. He's put himself in a position for years to come, and then everything falls apart, and blessings that assumed from God have dried up. Angels that had been carrying him suddenly dropped off, and he feels like he's scourging for himself. And then in that confusion and devastation, he feels a hand and he hears a voice saying, get up and do not be afraid. 
transfiguration moments, they are, they are real for us too. They are. They are. God gives us moments of grandeur that can overwhelm us, reassurances that are time to perfection, rescue from the bleakest of courses. Those holy moments, those bright moments, they leave a mark. They impress upon us hope that cannot be dashed. Moments that we can't always explain, moments that we wish but we can't bottle up, but yet moments that touch us with a hint of God's glory if we but give ourselves to them. 1994, I was at Epworth Forest Christian Camp, sitting in a row of rocks, rock-hewn pews, staring at the moonlight glistening over the lake. Other youth were screaming as they were going to the going to the camp shop for candy, slushies, but I was quiet, and I was listening, and I was thinking. I was thinking about this invitation that had been made by a teacher to trust my life with Jesus. I was thinking about what I might need to let go of in, in order to hold on to this promise. I was thinking about really wanting to be known. I was lonely, and I wanted someone to see me. And then... In the midst of that thinking, God's affection, God's hold just reached out to me, speaking to me. It was not a thought anymore. It was an experience of deeply feeling loved, the hair rising on my arms, my voice saying, Jesus, I want to spend my life with you. Nowadays, I find myself tired worn, too tired and worn to love Jesus at times. Choices are heavy. Choices are complicated. How am I supposed to adore this man at times when he seems so far off? But then I'm taken back to that moonlight reflecting on the smooth ripples of that lake and the memory of that moment, God's glory finding me again. Summer of 1998, I am in Megiddo, Israel, working there for three weeks on an archaeological dig. In the evenings, I play soccer and eat cucumber in over a hundred different forms while spending time with students from around the world. One evening, I climb atop the tell, that is that mound of soil accumulating centuries of history that we've been digging in, except this night, I don't take my towel, uh, my trowel or my brush but just my eyes and my ears. I, I look to my left and I see the remnants of walls of King Solomon's horse stables. And up above, I see twinkling starlight that I imagine ancient Israelites saw as they were on this sacred land. And down below, I see traffic lights, buses honking, people coming home from work. And I think to myself, in this moment, I'm in the midst of God's big world. God stretched out time, alive in this extraordinary moment. I'm part of God's immense story here, surrounded with the history of biblical heroes and saints and the touch of God's spirit moving me and calling me in this moment. And I'm thinking history isn't something I just dig up here, but it's, it's happening, it's overwhelming and real as God uses me. 
on that tell, every moment I breathed, I felt like God was just entering into me and gripping me tightly. Now there are moments when I sit in my desk in my office and I wonder, is, is my effort worth it? Was my calling for real? Moments just seem to go by so fast and there's no time to make history because life's just already on its way and gone. I wonder if it, any of it matters. And then God's glory finds me as he takes me back to that hill underneath those stars, that transfiguration moment. 2011, I'm in Riley Children's Hospital. Anna is two months old. She's clinging to life. She's battling infection, kidney failure, body chemistry all out of whack, staff and nurses searching for answers. Cindy and I are soaked with fearful tears. But in the care of remarkable people, in the moments of patient waiting, in the calm of God that came in the visits of long lost friends and family, the reassurance of our place in God's hands, that we can trust and make it through. Jesus came indoors, you know, not just on a lakeside or a hilltop. He came to that bedside in that hospital, stretched out with us for weeks, wrapping his arms around us. And when heartache comes again, and I know it will, when struggles are real and we have to fight again, I can look back and remember that Savior by the bedside where he was transfigured before us and his glory finds us again. Transfiguration, says Marilyn Antwich, is that point in which God says to the world and each of us that there's nothing we can do to prepare for or stand in the way of sorrow. We can't build a safe house. We can't explain it away with all of our intellectual reserves. But neither can we escape the light that God will shed on our path. God will find us in our homes, in our workplaces, and wherever our hearts are broken. God will find us even when we run away. And when we are sitting in the middle of what seems like hell. But God will find us and say, get up. And don't be afraid. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the gift of those moments that interrupt and miraculously amaze us when life is turned on its heels and we see you profoundly, we recognize you in a new way, and that moment is transfigured those moments that are interruptions in the midst of bleakness and pain that cast for us a new hope, a memory that we grip so tightly in future hardship, knowing that you were there for us, conquering fear. I pray this morning for any in this place, Lord God, that are going through a patch of struggle, whether there is a, a relationship that's been ruptured in their family, whether they're just feeling the weight of, of anxious uh, projects and demands and expectations on their life, for those that are never feeling like they're good enough, 
those who are struggling with some form of addiction of which they cannot let go, those who work and strive and yet their efforts seem of no relevance, those who want to move but the pain in their bodies just holds them still. For each of these, Lord, and many more, I would pray that you intercede with that transfiguration moment, reveal yourself in bright light, so that all that we can do is bow down and worship you and walk again into life unafraid. Today, as we pray, Lord God, we pray for our congregation family, any that are facing surgery or health needs. I pray specifically for those that are in mourning and grief. May our church today surround Natalie Isaac at the loss of her grandmother just this week. Comfort her in her pain. Be with all that are experiencing loss. And Lord God, be with our church that in the midst of times of the bad, <laughs> whether that be a few less people in worship or struggle, keeping some of the ministries going that have always gone on. Uh, intercede, Lord God, with the memory of your glory. Shine brightly upon us that we would be faithful with all that you have given us. Lead us into ministry unafraid. We give you all of these prayers so grateful, Lord God, for your faithfulness that endures always. Hear us as we pray as your body. In the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.